0: Let's stand to to our feet as we look at faith and devotion. James chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls This is the very Word of God. Let's pray. And so now, Lord, as, as we come to you and uh, assemble ourselves together on this Mother's Day, and we remember those mothers that we have, those mothers that we had. And for some, we remember a mother we wish we had that we have never had. And so, Lord, whatever the case is, would you show us, would you comfort us, would you reveal something of who you are today in this word of God that comes from you to us, to your people, that affects how we live this one life that we have? Oh God, that we wouldn't waste it, that we wouldn't get caught up in all the debates. Lord, whether it's in the politics or in our own denomination, Lord, would you bring clarity and comfort and resolve through your word to your people? Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just give you some words. Critical race theory. Let your brain just sort of go where it wants to go with these words. Gender dysphoria. Racial reconciliation. Systematic racism. Liberalism. Conservative resurgence. Woke. Social justice. How would you define these terms? And if you defined them, or one of us defined them, and you went to your coworker or to your neighbor and you said, You define one of these words, would they define them the same way? We seem, if we're not careful, and of course we do this unconsciously, want to ask the question this morning when we read the text was James a Republican or a Democrat? Like if he was here, which church would he attend? It always pays to help people ask the right questions. Of course, none of those are. And yet, here's the truth. We live in a fallen world with fallen perspectives and ideologies, and they permeate our lives. They permeate our minds. They are intentionally indoctrinated into your life, be it at your workplace or at your school. And to be ignorant of it is to allow, as James says this morning, For them to become us to become tainted by them, a couple of principles pays for us always to be reminded in this confusing world where everybody's got a perspective and an ideology, and seems like everybody has a right to it. Scripture alone for believers. Remember, James is written to believers. Scripture alone has the final authority in our life. Not a particular. party, not a particular, even denomination, how we live, how we define our positions in this life, our very purpose for why we are here governed by God's word and nothing else. It is first, it is final, but here's the truth. What we pursue in life, we offer to God as worship, whatever that is right now, what you are pursuing, we offer as God to worship as believers we've mentioned this radical faith last week radical spirituality James has given us now is what is the evidence of those things if those things are true in our life if they're our pursuits as we're going to talk about today what's the evidence for them where I brought in a a picture although I threw it on the floor initially (laughs) that's why the pastor should only do one thing on Sunday because he can't do anything else We said this last week. If we are going to embrace this radical spirituality, this radical devotion to God, and I could say it this way this morning, though we don't do uh, Mother's Day-themed messages, we preach through the Bible, and you know that, is radical motherhood. (laughs) Extensive. Three components. Radical devotion to Christ... Radical holiness in Christ and radical obedience for the cause of Christ. In other words, here's what I'm getting at this morning. If we got bad fruit, this is this this picture came as as a result of preaching through John. I asked Rachel to paint this for me. If you ever I'm sitting in my office, it's hanging on the wall. It represents two types of trees. And it all depends on the root system. You see, good root produces good fruit. Bad roots produce bad fruits. If you've got bad fruits in your life or in your children's life or in anybody else's life, the problem is not the fruit. The problem is the root. And so here's what we're saying. The positive things that we are putting in the soil of our life that produces the fruit that we want to see, the evidence is devotion, holiness, and obedience. It's not enough to try to get rid of the bad, to try to pull out the, the fear that's down in there and the pride that's down there. We talk about that put off and put, off la- put on and put off last week. What we also have to do and is put on is this radical nature, this uncomfortable, sometimes feels like we're by ourself nature, of what it looks like to be devoted, to walk in holiness, and to be willing to do anything God says no matter what it costs us. For James, he uses this word, religion. Religion. This is the best way I can explain it this morning. Religion is the outward expression of a life devoted to Christ. Your religion is your outward expressions of your one life devoted to Christ. And so what James gives us this morning is three essential pursuits of your life. Three things, here's what he's saying, if devotion and holiness and obedience is in the dirt of your life, these three things are going to begin, and you can just expect them, they're going to begin to bubble out. Three essential pursuits in a radical spiritual life, or to a radical spiritual life. I picked the word intentionally, if you got your notes, essential what James is not saying is these are three, three elements, three, three pursuits, and there's nothing else. This is not, James don't mean this to be, an exhaustive list of the Christian life or your life of worship. Calvin says this, he does not define generally what religion is, but reminds us that religion without these things he mentions is nothing. So no other expression... Of worship. That's so what James is saying. Really matters if you don't get these three things right. And the first thing he says is, we need to control our mouths. Of <laughs> all the things he could put on the list, right? It's a pretty good one. Look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious, if that word gets you, still gets you hung up, just, just put devotion to God there. If anyone thinks he is religious, if anyone thinks he is devoted to God and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So here's what he's making two accusations from a negative perspective. If you don't bridle your tongue, if you're not controlling your your mouth, controlling the way you communicate, then two things are the reality in your life. You are self-deceived in your devotion to god is worth nothing pretty love james because he's clear that's clear so religion again is the outward expression of a life devoted to christ he's saying going this first non-negotiable outward expression should be the way we control how we communicate with each other because how what we say how we communicate reflects something deeper within He gives a picture of a horse that doesn't have his bit and bridle on. He is wild and unmanageable. His ability to be profitable as an animal depends on the control that happens in his mouth. It's the picture, James, that almost this mouth is like a separate entity of us that if we don't learn to control it will get us in all kinds of trouble. You can ruin your witness that you spent years building with one slip of the tongue. Proverbs 10:19 When people are many transgression is not lacking but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Words matter. Turn with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 verse 31. Matthew 12, 31. Words not only matter to people, this is where we immediately go. But listen, words matter with God. Words matter before God. Matthew 12, verse 31 says this. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. For whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Words matter. Now, just flip over a little bit to the right to the next gospel to Mark chapter 7. Again, James echoes the teachings of Jesus. Mark chapter 7, look at verse 20. Mark 7, verse 20. And he said, What comes out of a person... Now, hold on a second. No, pay it. Notice the root fruit here. It's there. This principles everywhere. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within... Out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, covetous, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. There's something inside, deeper, driving all of these actions. Listen, here's as important to understand in this, our age. The power of these things right here, right? I for you. If you, don't, if you don't text, most people do. Most people you're in a relationship do. And that's what them thumbs do right here. Walk around all day long down the street. Everybody's got them in their hands, don't they? And they're, and they're, they're locked and loaded like a man carrying a pistol. Don't use to carry a gun if it ain't loaded. We're loaded. There's a culture here. We've created it, haven't we? That you have the right... To say whatever you want to. Whatever comes to mind. You just put it out there. And the rest of the world just get over it. It's just the way I am. He's saying that posting. Whatever that is. Is a reflection of your devotion to God. That nothing else you do. This is just clear. This is what he's saying. That nothing else you do should be the focus of your attention. If you hadn't learned to control these things right here, you do not have the right as a Christian to open your mouth or to text something. Social media, listen, is a cowardly means of communication when it is used to passively, aggressively, or not so passively attack or defend yourself. When you do that, you reflect your own instability and your lack of self-control. When you have a bad breakup with somebody, do not post glamour shots of yourself on Facebook. For it reveals something about you when you do that. I'm begging you. Take three days and pray if the Lord wants you to post that picture or that comment. And I guarantee you, somebody says something mean to you, and I've experienced it this week myself. Give yourself three days, and you won't even remember it. Don't post it. Reign it in. This is what follow, This is how followers of Christ first think. I, I'm my hands and my mouth is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. People who don't do this are deceived. What are they deceived about? They're deceived. At the level of their devotion. They're deceived about how they are devoted to their God. That's what James is saying. You're deceived in your heart. He's, these are religious people. These are Jewish people. They they know how to do the religious thing, and they're doing it. That's sort of the underarching context of the passages. This whole book. They're, they're doing the religious thing. He's sitting there going, but your tongue reflects a deeper lack, a, a a dirt problem, a soil problem in your life. James is simply saying that radical devotion involves bringing the whole body under the lordship of Christ. And nothing affects you and other people greater than how you communicate with God and each other. The first mark of true and acceptable religion or worship or radical spirituality is to control your speech, your communication. He's saying if you don't, your religion is worthless. We could simply say this. He does not accept your worship. It's a a sobering statement. It's what he's saying. Your religion is worthless. Uh, Notice... In verse 26, he said, if anyone thinks he is religious, as some translations have the word seems, if anyone seems religious, in other words, his, his religiosity, his devotion to God is based on his subjective opinion, but is outside the evidence of his life. Empirical evidence matters, even in scripture. He said they're going, the empirical evidence of your life Is that there's a devotion problem. There's a a dirt problem. He uses the word futile, worthless. Uh, Another way to say that is empty. 1 Peter 1.18. Peter contrasts the futility of what people used to worship versus Christ. Listen to what it says. 1 Peter 1.18 Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Notice the two contrasting words. That which is futile, same word, worthless, and that which is precious. There's a, another way to think about this This. Sh- is a shallowness. This worthlessness is shallowness. There's a hollowness to our devotion to God. It's doing all the right things. But at the same time, you see, this is why verses 19 to 27 is is connected together. This is the hearer, but not the doer. He hears the word of God saying, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. But doggone it, he didn't have any right to say that. Uh, You know. That's the one who looks into the mirror and sees it and turns around, forgets what he's just read. That's what he's getting at here. This term religious or religion is not necessarily a Christian word. The, the pagans... Of that day use that same word to denote their worship. Or remember, they don't they didn't really worship as we did. They venerated their gods in order to get something. They used it the same way. He's sitting there, he what he's saying. He's sitting there going, Your worship to God is worth as much as those pagans if this isn't true in your life. The real litmus test of our devotion to God. Is that we're using our mouths and our communications for the glory of God and the benefit of others. So, first pursuit pursue inward control and in how we communicate before God and other people. Secondly, is a who. It's a who. And these are, these are connected. We pursue the powerless. Verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. In other words, remember the connected nature of this. The law of liberty looks like something. What he's simply doing is sitting there going, what does the law of liberty look like? Sitting there going, it looks like that you help widows and orphans. That's what it looks like. You're free to do that. <laughs> he He used the word visit. Do you see that word visit? I'm I'm grabbing back from John with the word abide. We abide with the powerless. We visit them. That word means one particular thing. It's an interesting study if you want to look at the word visit throughout the biblical story and to see when God visits people, sometimes it's really good, sometimes it's really bad. Why? Because visit means something. It means to look after. It can mean to care for someone. This is the overarching meaning in Scripture. It means to be an active presence in someone's life. A couple of passages just sort of grab the understanding of this word. Matthew 25, 36, you know this. It's when Jesus said, I was naked and you clothed to me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. I want you to see this word, this this passage, though. Acts. Turn with me to the book of Acts. I want you to see. It's the same word, visit. Acts chapter 6 and verse 3. Acts 6 verse 3 says this. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom, and whom we will point to this duty. Can you find the word visit there? It's the word pick out. You see it? Same word. Pick out these men. Visit. This is that, this is this intentional. This is not accidental. This is not simply, I just happened to run into this person. That happens. This is an intentional choice to have an abiding impact on somebody's life. You pick them. You choose them. Hebrews 2 6 is what God's this is God's character. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? Same word, that you visit him. We intentionally choose to care for the powerless. All believers are to pick out someone who is helpless and powerless and care for them. Two problems going on in James, and we're going to see it, one now, one later. Actively neglecting and actively oppressing. People from within the church were doing both. They were neglecting and they were also oppressing. just going to deal with the neglecting this morning. Turn with me, I want you to see this, probably one of the clearest passages in the Bible uh, on this issue is Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 10. So let's just remember the context because what Israel was doing was not James 1, 26 and 27 and their life and history in the past. You remember? They compromised their purity. They would go to worship and offer sacrifices and then go offer to the Baals at the same time. Spiritual adultery, remember? And at the same time, guess what happened when they started doing that? Thing that was joined. This is what James is saying. He's speaking to Jewish people. Just like your forefathers, you're doing the same thing. Your purity begins to get compromised. And the next thing you know, the poorest among us get neglected. It runs with our unholiness. And there's a warning here. Engage the powerless. Or there's a cost. Let me read it. You, You help me understand. Let's understand together. What is the cost? For lack of purity and neglecting the powerless. Hear, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of your God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me, the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and of fat of well-fed beast. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come and appear before me, what is required of you, this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense and is an abomination to me. New moons and Sabbaths and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and in solemn assembly. Your new moons have an appointed feast. My soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of burying them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Remove evil The evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is why. When you start following a political party, more than getting in God's word and seeing what he says to those who neglect the powerless, you will be derailed. And listen, we're accountable to God's word. We're accountable to understand God's character and model our lives after it. And God's word is clear. He cares about the fatherless. He commanded it in the Old Testament system. Remember Ruth? The gleaning is part of the law. Psalms 68.5 Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God in His holy habitation. Without the church, you see, the single mom with no support, the widow who has lost her husband, the orphan without a home, cannot do what James has already told us to do. Consider it all joy when you go through various trials. They can't do that. Why? Because they have nobody to stand around them. Widows and single moms have had to trust the government because the church has turned its back on them. God's word is clear. We cannot neglect them, and we must not oppress them. Who were these people in this culture, widows and orphans? Well, they were the outcast. They were the outcast of society. Every society has an outcast group, uh, groups you see, this was a patriarchal society. Without the husband and the father in the home, there was no means of support. There was no way to, for a woman to go to court and get her rights upheld. If the, when the husband died, and many of the husbands died in that day in their 30s and 40s, that's why there were so many widows. Why in the early church, this was an issue. They had, they had groups of men to take care of this issue and Enroll them in help. This was part of the church's ministry because this was an issue. The widows and orphans, they had no voice. They had no means of support, no standing in the courts. It happens today in third world countries when the husband dies, the people just come and force the widows and the children off the land and take them. There's nothing they can do. They have no standing in the courts. They were the most vulnerable That's why God's law built in care for the powerless into its law. Because God knows how vulnerable. Whoever the outcast of this world is, the Bible tells us that we must enfold them into our relationships. That is worship. That is worship. Why help the powerless? (laughs) Because they're helpless. Because they can't pay us back. Because God has commanded it to. Because the only worship God accepts is that we love those the way God loves them. The goal here, verse 27, is that we remove their suffering. We visit them for a purpose. This visiting is not stopping by the hospital on the way home. It is we... Move in. We have an abiding impact in our, their life for a reason. And so let me just help us here in this removal because this raises all kinds of questions. Don't offer people things you don't have. Right? I, I, had, this, I had this happen a lot during the week. I, housing is an issue in our day. met a guy this week. His, his ankles were this big. Because he's living in his car and he can never lay down. I just gave him what I had. And I gave him my life. sit down, showed him my care, weep with those who weep. Give them what you have. You cannot give them what we don't have. Do you know, I don't know if you're watching online, I know most people in the room, if you're watching online, you need to join an active church and start there. Do you know that we vet every place we support? We don't send our money to anybody. And by the way, those guys standing out there on the sign is not what I mean. Most of them are preying on the homeless people, by the way. They get in their nice cars and drive off when you get done. It's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about pursuing. Listening is helping. A single mom who's about had all she can stand. Those kids won't quit hollering. Won't quit demanding. She just needs somebody to be there. She doesn't need some kind of advanced degree, some guy with a doctorate sitting across from her. She needs you. Loving her, easing her suffering. Providing resources to ease people's suffering gives you a platform to show their greater need, which is Christ. fold them into your life, and then fold them into ours. So how can you help practically this morning? Pursue Cleveland County Rescue Mission. These are places that we already work to give you some practical things. Pursue the rescue mission. Join us. We volunteer. You can volunteer weekly, but we volunteer monthly. Just sit there and eat with people. Have a conversation with them. Pursue Lifeline Children's Services. One of the most, as me and Christina has been in this, in this world for some time, one of the most reputable, honest adoption agencies that we know about. 400,000 children in the U.S. foster care system, 100,000 waiting for homes, and that, that statistic is a couple years old. James is saying throughout Scripture, we must be selfless. And we must not neglect them regardless of what it cost. God knows what it cost you. He gave you everything. He's simply asking you sometimes to give it up as worship. Pursue the rescue mission. Pursue adoption or foster care if God calls you to. There's a crisis ministry. Miss Ricky's on the board. We have donation lists out in the lobby. We have homeless care bags out there. The people that I'm asking you to pursue are not standing on the corner. They're usually under a tree somewhere and not wanting to talk to anybody. Relieve the need. Engage in relationship. Build trust. Give truth. Relieve the need. Engage in relationship. Build trust. Give truth. That's our... But here's what James is saying. Now, this is tension right here. Hold, around, hold on with me. We, we hear this word social justice more. The Bible speaks more of biblical justice. Is biblical justice necessary? What has James just said? Yes. Is it sufficient? No. We should pursue a godly worldview. Listen to what it says. And (laughs) religion that is pure and undefiled before God is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. He's summarizing everything that he just said. This world system that we are living in is polluted. That's what he's saying. It is tainted. So somebody help me here. If you, how many of you have studied Darwinian evolution? And you're so tell me if you're going to be a consistent Darwinian. What should happen to the powerless? They should go away. They're a link. They're a weak link in the survival of the species. They do not have a right to affect. They eat our food. They breathe our air. They, they to that comes the Christian worldview. All life is precious. All life is sacred. From the womb to the tomb. And the homeless guy on the corner in between. They're all made in the image of God. What we have to be weary of is that if we're not careful, that worldview begins to rub off on us. And the way we treat people, the way we seem to be able to make a judgment of who is worthy to be helped and who is worthy of the gospel, the Bible doesn't make those distinctions. Matthew 6, says that, we have to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That, that's how we go about it. We must reject what the world values. That's what James is getting at. He uses this, world, this word world three times here. World system. This fallen way of thinking. We're having to navigate the Christian life and honor Christ in the midst of it. And that's not easy. It is easy to become tainted, to become polluted. And so, let me try to be as clear as I can here about this one issue. This issue of social justice. How do we keep this thing in tension with our holiness? Social justice becomes godlessness when it becomes a substitute for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Right? Are you with me? When someone says, that's the gospel... The purpose of of our life is to help the poor and in that is salvation. That is why Jesus came and lived and died again. That is heresy. That is not the gospel. But here's what I'm afraid of. Every political and religious system can become polluted. And every political system is whatever side of the aisle that you find yourself on or leaning to. And I'm... I'm walking down a a narrow line here. I realize that. But if the church doesn't talk about these things, who does? Uh, One side, we could say, I'm a conservative. I'm I'm on the right. And we believe in our morals and the sanctity of marriage and life. We would all say, Amen. And... Another believer on the other side would say, No, we need to be concerned about the poor, or the weak, the downcast, and the oppressed. And there the debate begins. You see, somebody's just controlled the argument. What's James telling us today? Can, can I opt out? Of helping the poor because I stand for life? What is James saying? No. Can I say because I help the poor that my holiness doesn't matter? James says, no. James says, all of this is your worship. He has not given you things that you do in order to be saved. He has given you things that we must do precisely because we are saved. And any group that begins to put in the place of salvation, these things is simply trying to pollute your worldview. Christians are radically concerned with personal purity. Christians are radically concerned about practical public acts of compassion because of that is the worship our God accepts. James is not done with holiness, by the way. I know. Guess what we're talking about next week? Favoritism, prejudice, racism... He brings it up. Here's the point today. We embrace what the world discards. We embrace them. Ancient Rome embraced infanticide. They thought nothing of abandoning, even killing, deformed children or children of the wrong sex. They would oftentimes simply... Cast them out there where they cast all their refuse on what they call the dung heap. This is a direct quote. The catacombs, that's where they bury their dead, are filled with very tiny graves with the epitaph adopted daughter of or adopted son of inscribed on them. These inscriptions refer to the many babies and young children Christians rescued from the trash over the centuries. Tertullian says, Christians sought out the tiny bodies of newborn babies from the refuse and dung heaps and raised them as their own, intended to them before they died and gave them a decent burial. The Christian idea that each, person, each individual person has worth because they were created by God was foreign to the lives of pagan society where the state, the tribe, and the collective was the only value they knew. This is nothing new. This is simply what Christians did to worship. When they went to the dung heap to throw their trash out, they would take... The lives of those that were considered trash. And they would give him their own name. They would care for him even if they was at the point of death. To rescue the powerless. To pursue holiness. This is the worship God desires from his adopted children. There's more I could say today. And more I'll say later. There are existing all around you. The spiritually orphaned. The spiritually orphaned. When you look at a gang and you see those guys in those gangs, what do you see? How do you see those guys? We celebrate Mother's Day today. And many of us, none of us had perfect mothers. Most of us had good mothers. Would sacrifice their good for ours. Would go without so that we had. That would nurture us when we cried. Care for us when we were broken. Pick us up when people made fun of us. Do you know that there are people all around you that ain't never felt that? They never felt it. My inbox right now is full Of broken people asking for help for all kinds of reasons. And most of them never had a mama and a daddy that just picked them up when they fell. They are spiritually orphaned in a world. Here's what God is saying to you today. Pick one of them up. Pick one of them. No, you're not too old. Pick one of them. And don't give up on them. To this we have been called. Let's pray together. And so God. All of us have been in places to where we were like. Just don't know whether I can go on anymore. And if we haven't we will be. Lord we thank you for your amazing grace. But Lord if if I think about it if I think about how your grace has worked out in my life did it not look like your brothers and sisters calling me or texting me or coming by and seeing me I can remember being in a hospital and having people come by and see me and love on me and so Lord We want to offer you worship that is pleasing to you. And you tell us what that looks like. We don't get to pick it. So God, now as we come for the purpose of worship here, of responding in worship, Lord, we realize that we simply want to be willing to go out and to notice those who have been neglected or abandoned those that perceive that nobody cares and be the one that cares. Lord, this is not hard, but it is hard. And so, Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your Spirit, that you would give us this love down in the depths of the soul of our heart that has to bubble up in the love of God for those who can never pay us back. Lord, we know who these are in our life. Most of us already know somebody that you've already put there. Encourage us. Equip us. I pray, Lord, that even now, that you would give our people mercy. Lord, I pray this week that you would give those in this room the ability to feel the pain of someone else and be compelled to do something about it. What would you do among us if that was true? Lord, we want to worship you in spirit and in truth. So Lord, be honored now. We have the table set, God. God that signifies of everything that was polluted in this world, that it was the precious blood of Christ that made us your family. And so as we come to the tables, we remember that our Lord's body was broken and His blood shed so that we could be the family of God and so that we may go out and gather more family. Be worshipped and glorified now. Jesus' name. Amen.